welcome to Singing the Blues. I'm Dom Housley. And I'm James Marriott. Uh, football's back, Dom. Um, if you um, if you follow us on Twitter, then uh, you might be aware that we did um, levy the idea of this episode of the podcast would feature me, where I always am, in Sheffield, Dom live from the training camp in Portugal. But you're not at the training camp in Portugal, are you? You're in your house. I am in, now, yeah. uh, Back, back home. We just logistically someone, we couldn't manage it. Don't blame me. Someone had a few too many beers and forgot that they were doing a podcast. Yeah, well, we know who that was. I was professional to the end in Portugal, so I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't have any beers <laughs> whatsoever while I was out there. I was just working away. You, there's even a photo of you on Twitter with a beer in your hand. Come on. Oh, Alex Miller. Why did he do that? I hate him. That it, bloke. This is. This is Boris Johnson level of truth telling this from uh, from Dom House. That's outrageous um, accusation, but yes. I want to know everything about Portugal, but we'll come to that a little bit later on. Um let's talk about players first of all. So, um back end of of the uh, of last season, lots of rumors about retained list and stuff like that. So that that eventually came out uh, and the players that Wednesday released, um Hutchinson, Dunkley, Berahino, Offered contracts to Mendes Lang, Luongo, Wildsmith. They didn't accept them. They've left. Um, and Jack Hunt did sign uh, a new contract. So six players there that um, that Wednesday bid farewell to. Um, and I don't know if we particularly want to talk about all of them. But let's talk about Sam Hutchinson. And, and it does. This feels like a debate that's been done to death. Uh, but we should touch on this because I think a few people were quite surprised about Sam Hutchinson not being given a new deal. And it, it seemed to divide the fan base quite a bit as well. You could almost cut fans down the middle in terms of those that were like, "Well, he's the best defender at the club. Um, you know, he lives and breathes Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, he's a leader. We should be keeping him." In. And those and, and I err slightly towards this side of it um those who say the problem is his his best days uh, are sadly behind him we're always going to have fitness issues and we've got to start rebuilding a new squad and that means new leaders um so on balance i think i agreed with that decision hutchinson was the player that they were on the fence with and yeah, Hutchinson played, I think, nearly 30 matches last season. And, yeah, he was uh, you know, very good, I thought, when he came back into the team, uh, sort of from January onwards. I, I know that there was the mistake, the big mistake in the first leg against Sunderland in the playoffs, but there were very few errors like that across the board from him, and he was a consistent player. And you know what you're going to get with Hutchinson that he can play in defence or in midfield. Uh, and it was a tough decision. Uh, but no, I'm with you, really, James. I think it was the right call in the end. You know, you know, when you're looking at Hutchinson and Luongo, those are two players where it's the question marks over the injuries. That that's and, and when you're trying to... I know I bang on about it all the time, but when you're trying to build a team and have that... Um, stability there and have that core of players that you know are going to play week in, week out. Realistically, you're not going to get three quarters of a season out of Sam Hutchinson. And if you're a manager, you want reliability. And I, I think, you know, if Hutchinson is about to turn 33, yeah, for me, it was, it's a tough one. Fans' favourite, great servant for Wednesday, but it was the right time to move on. Yeah, I think that's um I think that's a fair summary. Um Joe Walsmith was another player that um I think a lot of fans was was sad to see go, although generally across the board an acceptance it's it's the right time. It's a good move for him. There's there's, there's obviously you know, it's been a difficult time for Derby, but there's definitely something happening there right now. Um, so you know he kind of uh, uh, arrives at a new club, new challenge, and he needs to be playing football. And it was pretty obvious. Uh, we've not talked about incoming players yet, but obviously we've seen we've seen a new goalkeeper coming into the club. So it was pretty obvious he, he was unlikely to be getting near the first team this season. So I think you know we kind of wish him wish him well on his way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and for Joe. I hope it works out for him at Derby. I hope he is the number one there. I know they've brought another goalkeeper in, but yeah, at his age, he's 26. 
I think it was always going to be difficult to keep Joe and Cameron Dawson. You know, there had to be a decision. There had to be a move on one of them, I think, had to move on. And you, you've got to look at it for the sake of their careers. And uh, they are two guys, you know, they are really good blokes, come through the ranks at Wednesday. You want them to do well. Their path a lot of the time at Wednesday has been blocked by other goalkeepers coming in, whether that's Kieran Westwood or Bailey Peacock Farrell last season. And then I know we're going to go on to the incomings in a bit. David Stockdale arriving. You know, I think that must have been for Joe Wildsmith. That was the sort of the final straw where he's realised yeah. if I sign a new contract at Sheffield Wednesday, there's every chance here I'm going to be third choice and I'm going to be in the stands. And that's, you know, for him, uh, you know, that's not a good position to be in. No, and you know, I've, I've said a few times on this podcast before about you, you you want to see ambition from players. You know, it doesn't matter whether or not he grew up a Wednesday fan. You you, you want him to be unhappy about being third choice because you know you, you you want to see footballers wanting to play football. So um, it's it's entirely um, it's entirely fair enough. Uh, we will talk about incoming players in a moment. We've obviously got all pre-season to talk about. We'll touch on Portugal as well. Uh, we've got a guest on the show a little bit later on as well. So we're going to be joined uh, by uh, Gareth Platt, who has uh, written a book about um, bygone times of. Uh, of the Sheffield Wednesday eras, um, so we'll um, we'll chat to Gareth a little bit later on. Uh, right, let's let's move on to incomings. We might want to go back and touch on some other players uh, who've who've left and and kind of you know where we may still need to recruit uh, a little bit later on. So we've got uh, let me count this up: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven incoming players. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, so we'll have the official Dom House and Pronunciation Guide on some of these um, players. Thankfully, some are easier than others. So we'll start with uh, Ben Hennigan. Correct. There we go. That's nice and easy. Um, so defender from uh, was it Wimbledon that he's, he's joined Wednesday from. Um, I think fairly well thought of there from what their fans have been saying. First team regular, used to this league, which is uh, which is a good thing. Uh, and obviously a position where Wednesday really... We we need we we desperately needed some uh, some 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 new faces through the door. So, uh, what what have you made of what you've seen of him? He's an absolute unit, a monster at the back. He's six foot four, and if he does not help fix Wednesday's set piece set piece issue from last season, well, they're, they're never going to address it. He is he's so strong in the air. But his uh, no, his reading of the game, uh, I've been very impressed with. You know, I've seen him at Harrogate and then against Bournemouth um, the other day, and you know, he's for me been one of the standout players uh, in pre-season. And I actually thought James when they signed him that uh, maybe he would be providing backup to who was to then to come in, and Dominic Iorfa for being fit, you know, in the three-man defence. Now I'm thinking. No, I think Hennigan is is here to start. I think Hennigan is is you know, he's come from AFC Wimbledon where he's played 40 matches last season. But I'm looking at Hennigan and thinking that actually he might become one of the first names on the team sheet, and he's going to bring leadership. He's going to bring strength in the air. He's not the quickest, you know, um, but I think he makes up for that with his intelligence, really, in the reading of the game. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, David Stockdale arrived. Uh, worst kept secret, wasn't it? Everyone it had been rumoured for a long time about um, about David Stockdale. Um, so yeah, I mean, this was interesting. He, he's a goalkeeper we all know. Obviously, he was uh, in uh, in the Brighton net for the for the playoff games way back when. Um, and bit of a journeyman, being at various different clubs, hasn't he? But you know, played at some some really high level football. Um, certainly knows the the game. Um, and it, it's kind of shaken things up a little bit, hasn't it? Because it, it's, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's absolutely nailed on that he's going to be number one. So there's that competition now for, for you know, who, who's going to start that first league game and, and, and try and make that shirt their own. That's got to be good. And having an experienced goalkeeper, I'm a big fan of. Um, and I think, yeah, good move and looking forward to, uh, to see what he can do. The more I thought about the deal, I think it's such a shrewd bit of business from Sheffield Wednesday. Go, go just go off last season, um, so he's got the most clean sheets in the league. We've got eighteen, so uh, he's getting better 
as he gets older. I know he's going to be 37 soon, and so that would be for some fans where the concern is. Um, but he's very realistic, is David Stockdale, about where he is in that like, he knows that he signed for Sheffield Wednesday and that he's not guaranteed to be first choice. And we've heard throughout pre-season from Darren Moore that the number one spot is up. And that's what I got told as soon as Stockdale came in. Now he was told, and it was made clear, that it's it's a straight shootout between him and Cameron Dawson. And it's going to be about who performs better in the friendlies, who does better in training, and then we're going to make a decision on that. I do think that when we come to the first match of the season, uh, that's the the point of where we then have to know who's going to be the number one, certainly to begin with, and then you know who's got the shirt, and then when they drop their form, that's then when they get taken out, and, and you can do it like that. But there has to be, for me, in really successful teams, there has to be an out-and-out number one. And I do think, as well as Cameron Dawson has done out in, in the friendlies that I've seen, that it's going to be Stockdale for me that will get the nod uh, at Portsmouth. Darren Moore's brought him in, so it's that's his goalkeeper, right? He's brought. So I, I, I just can't really see a world of where, where Stockdale isn't going to be playing and lining up in goal at, uh, at Portsmouth. And he's such a calming influence there, but he's but he's a big character and. Um, you know, I, I love watching how he's he's here at Wednesday and he wants the team to be successful first and foremost, and to help develop the young players. And, and I, you know, he's great with the young players, and I think his experience, his enthusiasm, enthusiasm is going to rub off on, on everybody at the club. Yes, I, I was going to ask you if you were a betting man who you'd go with, but uh, I think I'd agree that I. My, my 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 gut tells me that that Stockdale will will get the will get the nod, but we we will have to see. So if, I think Stockdale and um, Hennigan, you know, good good solid signings. Perhaps not necessarily getting anyone exciting. Uh, sorry, excited. But then we saw the signing of Will Vokes, and this is the one that you know feels a little bit more like a marquee signing. Um, this this did start getting people excited, and 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 suddenly you know there were people that were like, ah, right, okay, we're starting to see what next season's going to be about. Then you know we are we are doing some um, some some shrewd business here. You got championship clubs after him, um, and he's come to Wednesday. Exactly. I think what we should stress from the outset is that he is a different type of player to Massimo Luongo. So don't think that Will Vokes is coming in to be a holding midfielder. That's you know, when I've I've seen a lot of Will Vokes down the air, whether that's whether he's played for Wales or whether that's at Cardiff or Rotherham's or you know his other clubs, and he is more sort of box to box. He's going to bring even more energy to that midfield. So the legs that Wednesday have got now with. Folks, buyers, and then you to allow Bannon to carry on pushing further forward. Uh, it's, it's very exciting, but yeah, he put his foot in. He, he uh, on the ball. I, I think when you think of folks, I wouldn't necessarily think of him as um, for his sort of range of passing. You know, he's not going to be like a Bannon where he's going to unlock a defence with a really cute pass. But he keep things simple, and he's got an eye for goal. If you look at some of the goals he scored in his career, they're spectacular, and he's got mm. a long throw. So he's coming to sort of the peak, uh, you know, period of his career, and yeah, it's a coup for Wednesday, as you mentioned, that he turned down Championship interest to come to Sheffield Wednesday, and that he's excited about, you know, sort of the the Darren Moore project, and, and also he's just a, another sort of good human being as his former manager, Paul Warren, would say all the time at Rotherham. You know, he does a lot of charity work. Um, you know, he's got a big connection to Bluebell Wood. And, you know, you can't not respect that. You know, I, I just mm. think uh, as a bloke and then as a player, you know, Wednesday, to me, I just think it's another great signing. And uh, I can see him doing really well. You, you mentioned Rotherham there. There's the, 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 the then seemed to be a bit of a theme to our um, signings for a little while. So um, the the two Michaels. So I'll do one of them. I'll let you do the other one. Michael Smith, uh, who is a striker, scored a lot of goals last season in uh, in in League One as Rotherham um, went up. And the other Michael, I'm going with Michael Ehekwa. Ehekwa. Until I'm told otherwise, so I, I could be wrong, okay. but I'm pretty sure that. Um, 
the man that I used to work with at the start, uh, who <laughs> covers Rob from, said it was Michael Hequa. You've been having a lot of chats with uh, with your ex uh, colleague from the Star, I assume, over the last few weeks, because uh, the the as I said, there has been that uh, that little theme. Um, so obviously he's a defender as well. So we've got a striker, a defender. Um, he was in the champion, uh, sorry, the League One team of the season, I think. Uh, Michael Smith, one of the top scorers. Um, so you know, both of these look like really good signings and again a bit of a coup in the fact that you know they had the option there there was a championship contract on the table we know it's all about money but it doesn't matter you know the the fact is that they, they you know they, they wanted to take the step down back into league one to be part of this darren moore you know rebuilding project for the season um uh, uh, ahead um and you know you know with michael smith you're going to get goals and, and it is something that we've you know there's, there's been periods over the last year or two where we've been a bit worried thinking like where where's it going to come from but now you you look at uh, that that the options that darren moore has in attack um and you have to say that looks really healthy now Smith is hardworking and he's a big, he's a focal point. That's what he's going to give to Wednesday. He's six foot three, six foot four. Uh, and yeah, he just, he, he's got great work rate and uh, he, he's seriously improved his finishing. And yeah, last year, you know, what, 25 goals I think he got for Rotherham. And I'm sure there would have been a few assists in there too. So, uh, he's he's in his thirties. He knows his game. He knows his game inside out, and then he knows what League One is about. And in Michael Smith and Michael Ehequa, when's they've signed two players that have got promotions on their CV and have had success in this league? And so, what more can you, you know, really ask for? And uh, yeah, you know, we saw the reaction from Rotherham fans. You know, they're. Yeah, they were very unhappy at the time that they both decided to move on. But you've got to look at it from the perspective of Hequa and Smith. I know you you know, you mentioned the finances side, but there's a ceiling at Rotherham of what you can achieve. Let's be honest here, right? You're a yo-yo club between League One and the Championship. And so what would they have had to look forward to this season at Rotherham trying to stay in the Championship so that's where Sheffield Wednesday aspire to be. But you're coming to Sheffield Wednesday and you're playing in front of far bigger crowds at a bigger club with more history and huge fan base. And then there's the potential, as we've seen, for Wednesday to kick on. And you know, we all hope in a few years' time that you know, Wednesday are going to be competing at the top end of the championship. And so what I'm saying is, you're just not realistically going to be able to do that at Rotherham. And again, these are two players who are coming, you know, one's in their late 20s, the other's in their 30s. And so they've got to look at it and weigh it up and do what's best for them and their families. And they're staying in the area, so they've not had to relocate. Uh, But again, it's a step up, really, when you're thinking of the expectations that we all know that are going to be on Wednesday this season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think good points well made. Uh, right, next signing then. Again, I'm going to lean on you for pronunciation here. Uh, Akin... Femiway. Or Femiway. Femiway, I think. Femiway. I've still not spoken to him yet, so I can't check the pronunciation. So, yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with Akin, and then I think it's Femiway. All right, we'll go with that. Uh, I don't know much about him. Tell, tell me about him. So Wednesday, they've actually paid a transfer fee for him for start. So right. it's, uh, I believe it's 50000 that they've paid for. And they've bought a player on potential and you know they're going to look to develop and grow him. He's 23, left-sided centre-back. He spent the last couple of years on loan at Charlton. Wednesday actually wanted him last summer, but at that time they were under... The embargo, as we all know, so they couldn't get the deal done for February. But so he's been on their radar a long time, and, and all these players have. Right? They haven't just sort of popped up on Wednesday. They've gone, oh yeah, we'll get, we'll, yeah, we'll get the the best players from League One, and we'll get them done. And you know, we, right, we won't look elsewhere. You know, a lot of thought and planning and work has gone on behind the scenes to get you know these signings you know done. And and he can play left back, and the, so I think. He is going to be a more, I think, a squad player. I, I, I say that, 
but it will of course depend if Wednesday go in to the market for another centre half and um, we, we may sort of discuss the squad balance later on now or, or next week you know, for the season preview but yeah I mean th- there'd be a question mark there as to whether perhaps the Wednesday need another centre half you know when you're looking at the areas in the squad where you think are they a bit light on numbers do they maybe need another body there is a strong argument to say perhaps another defender would be a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's talk, let's talk about Reese James, and then we'll get on to some of the other things that that are kind of cropping up. Um, so, Reese uh, Reese James is also a fullback. He is a left back. Left back has been solved. It's only taken two years, but yeah, I say he's a left back, but he can then also play left wing back, and that might right. actually be where he ends up playing a lot this season. He can also play central midfield, so he's a very versatile player. Um, and I was lucky to, enough to speak to him for the first time in Portugal, and or just another really friendly, good person, you know, a good talker. And I, I think he's going to be a very popular member of the squad. He's worked with Darren Moore before at Doncaster Rovers, and Darren Moore. It was interesting, actually, admitted that he was too slow in trying to get uh, a deal done for Reese James last summer. Uh, and then he ended up going to Blackpool. And I don't think he's got much of a future by sounds of it at Blackpool. He's here at Wednesday on a season long loan. There's no option to buy him at the moment, but Reese James is 28. And so, you know, like last year, it didn't go so well for him at Blackpool. He didn't even play, I think half the season there. And, uh, he's not really figuring in Michael Appleton's plans. And so um, it's a huge opportunity for Reese James. And great, great competition now between him and Marvin Johnson. And we, we waxed lyrical, didn't we, about how Neymar did in the second half of last season. I, I tell you, I think he's got a job on his hands now to be playing week in, week out with James on the scene. I think James is going to give him a serious run for his money. So, um, as as we record this, that, that's it in terms of players that have, have have come in. There's another couple of players that we'll talk about in a bit, but you know, o- overall, then let's let's look at that transfer dealing overall. I think the the real positives, uh, and and I had a, a discussion with a couple of friends about this, so I think thought that I was being quite quite rude about um, uh, Darren Moore, but but what you know, if last summer felt like we were just having to grab any players that we could because it was all very last minute, um, and and actually you know that we we I think we thought actually last summer's business wasn't wasn't too bad in the end considering the circumstances that Wednesday were under, but but it didn't feel very planned out and and the squad didn't necessarily feel very balanced at the end of of last summer, so this summer feels like. There is that more thought that's gone into it. There's been some real upgrades there with some of the players that have have been brought in, um, and it feels a little bit more like now that we've got a squad and we've got Darren Moore's squad. Like there's you know the the we, we, the, there's no real excuses, is there, this season for Darren Moore now in terms of the fact that you know he he has been able to build a, a squad with the players that he wants, um, and it, 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 you know it, this should now be a squad that's ready to hit the ground running and compete. Um, I do have a, a slight negative, which is that it still feels like it's quite an old squad. Yeah. Like this is not the, the average age hasn't really moved, um, and it's something that we talked about back end of last season, isn't it? About one of the things that we want to see change at Wednesday is that the average age really needs to come down. It was one of the reasons why I thought there was justification for letting Sam Hutchinson go because actually we need some younger players who are part of our future um, through the door. And yet, you know, a lot of the players that we've we've brought in, the two Michaels are both very late twenties, aren't they? Just about to hit, hit, hit their thirties. Uh, David Stock. Dale, obviously, you know, we talked about him and his age, um, and a lot of players who are kind of you know late late twenties. So that average age is 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 still a little bit of a, a, a an issue, and that just leads me to kind of think, in some ways, that that this squad is a little bit of a it's like a bit of a one shot squad now about about you know next season it's kind of promotion or bust like this is a squad that's got to get us up and actually then some of those players will probably move on once we're into the 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 championship that's the scenario that it feels like this squad is is about to me i completely take your point and i think that would have been the sort of negative piece of criticism that i would have you know leveled at the business that they've done 
Uh, I'm then going to say that the, the big positive and the difference from last summer is that Wednesday have done the bulk of their business early. And so, yeah, that's a really fair uh, point. And yeah. so, to, so for them and Darren Moore to have taken the squad away to Portugal for the six-day training camp and to have had seven new signings, uh, and, and they played in the friendlies too before they went to Portugal, I think for team bonding and for... You know, everything that Wednesday is trying to focus on, get in place and get everyone on the same page going into the season. I think that was huge. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it has to be addressed. There's no uh, sort of sugarcoating it. Of course, the average age of the squad does need to come down. Um, and yeah, the counter argument is, James, that Wednesday have to be challenging for automatic promotion and they have to have proven players in and guys that, you know, know their way around this league. And, uh, you know, Darren Moore, he's not daft. He knows he's going to be under huge pressure to deliver promotion next season. And frankly, if Wednesday finish below fourth, in, in every, it, even if they got promoted via the playoffs, I think for some Wednesday fans they'd still be disappointed that they're in the league place and they would have gone backwards, is what I'm saying. So like, the only yep. the only way that they can raise the bar and prove that they've kicked on and done better is they've got to finish further above. And really, everyone's got their eyes on the prize of number one. And, and so Wednesday have to have a squad that can handle everything that's going to be thrown at them next season. Re- realistically, you... you, you... <sighs> I I feel that if Wednesday do not get promoted this season, Darren Moore will will be gone, um, and and that probably seems quite harsh. But you know, this is what his his third his third season, second full season. He's also been able to build the squad that he wants. He's he's, he's had the support that that is wanted there, um, and so you know, it it this we're not a club that wants to hang around in in League One. So anything other than promotion this season is ultimately you'd have to say it's a failure. Um, and I think that that the that the chairman would look at it and go, I've got to make a change because what we what we're doing isn't isn't working. And I think Darren Moore's probably aware of that. So Darren Moore is all about building a squad that he thinks can get promoted. It's it's maybe not really thinking too much about the longer term picture. And I understand that because it is it it is a kind of like it's promotion or bust, isn't it? Basically, I don't, I don't think it's quite fair either. I know from the outside looking in, we're just looking at the squad and we're basing it on the ages uh, to say that say that there isn't maybe one eye on the future. Um, there are things, you know, I think that Darren Moore, you know, is trying to, to get that culture of where he's promoting youngsters so the training with the first team regularly. And I think also, important point, you see, you, we're going to see more youngsters that will go out on loan. And so I have no doubt that before the window shuts, you may have a scenario where you'll get Ryan Galvin, you'll get Alex Hunt, maybe a Jay Glover. And, and some of these guys have been heavily involved in with the first team, training with them. You know, they may get loans elsewhere. And so Wednesday will hopefully benefit in the long run from you know, you know, what they're trying to do. So I, I, I think there are things that Darren Moore uh, you know, is looking at and and he does know that there the needs to still be more pace and there does still need to be more youth in this squad, but that does take time. And he's got to think about the here and now. He's got to get results to keep his job and to try and make Sheffield Wednesday successful. So he's got to make sure he's got the quality there to be able to get Wednesday in a position where they are challenging for automatic promotion. Let's talk about the friendlies um, and obviously training camp in Portugal as well then. Um, I I thought back end of last season, I thought this would probably be the last time that we see Wednesday play in this three-at-the-back system. That My my kind of assumption was... I've always been aware of the fact that Darren Moore seems to have a, a favoured um, four-two-three-one formation. So I kind of thought, right, he'll he'll reshape the squad during the summer to move to that formation. Um, so I, ge- I guess there's a question as much as anything in there because actually the players we've brought in seem to suggest more sticking with that 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 former uh, three at the back system. So uh, what's your thoughts on on that about how Wednesday are going to be lining up next season? It's three-five-two. And they try to not overcomplicate things in pre-season. I, I, you know, the sort of information I was getting at the start of the summer, you know, after 
the Sunderland disappointment was that maybe Wednesday would look to experiment in the friendlies in the summer and that Darren Moore would maybe try to switch between 3-5-2, say, you know, in the friendlies, he'd play that in one half and then all for an hour and then maybe half an hour they go to a back four. We haven't seen any evidence of that whatsoever. And I think right. it's quite clear that Darren Moore has looked to recruit players to play more in a 3-5-2 formation. And you can't knock it. Wednesday finished fourth with 85 points last season and they lost four times in 20 five matches or whatever it was after Christmas. So in some ways it'd be madness if they then went, oh yeah, we'll rip up the playbook and then we'll go from playing 3-5-2 to, oh yeah, we'll, we'll then switch to 4-2-3-1 as that's my preferred way of playing. And you know, I, I don't think that would necessarily be great management if you did that. And so you know, Darren Moore has looked at it and gone, no, I think the personnel I have in the building the nucleus of players that were there you know, from last season, the better off playing and better suited playing in a three-five-two, and then he's added his new players in to fit around that. And so, uh, I, I, I think there may be James to answer your question uh, in a little bit more detail. I think that there may be times where they're tactically flexible next season, and where um, when they've worked on it in training during the season, they could go to a back four. Uh, I, I think they looked at Sunderland and what they did in the, the two playoff matches and they saw, saw that and thought, that's how we want to be, where they went from a back three seamlessly to a back four. And we saw that when Wednesday went to a back four in the first leg against Sunderland, it was a mess. You know, that was something that had not been worked on enough. And there was a 15-minute period where Sunderland could have scored another two or three goals in that second half. And then they had to go back to a back three. Wednesday, I think, would love to be in a position where if they wanted to change formation, they could comfortably do it. And so at the moment, I think they're going, let's stick with the basics. 3-5-2, that's what we've got in place. This is who we are. This is our identity. And then maybe in the future, the formation, we may go to a back four for certain matches against certain teams. Okay, um, let's talk about the the friendlies uh, then. So, started with the Alfreton game a few weeks back. That was the first friendly. I, I wasn't there, so I can't comment on that. I yeah. don't think there's a lot to be said no. about it. To be honest, doesn't sound like a classic. So, tell us about the games that you have been at. Uh, Harrogate um, played really well first half, uh, and I liked the understanding that there seemed to be there between. Bannon and Michael Smith. There were three or four times in the first half when they won the pitch together where uh, Smith would make some very good, intelligent runs off the ball. And Bannon, you know, we, well, we know, has got the class to then find you know, a player. And uh, it, it reminded me a little bit of link-up between Bannon and Stephen Fletcher. So I, I thought it was encouraging that, really. I, I could see that go well. Um, and Windass has looked sharp in the friendlies that I've seen. You know, he just looks a serious goal threat. He scored a brilliant goal at Harrogate. Smith's got a penalty. Um, and Reese James, uh, I thought that was a positive as well. That was his first outing. And straight away, you got a good idea of what he's going to be about and what he's going to bring to the team. Um, and, and I quite liked what I saw of, of Jay Glover. I haven't seen too much of him uh, for the 23s and the 18s. Uh, but yeah, no, I think in midfield, um, he's he's someone that uh, is, you know, I think, you know, keep an eye on him. I think that um, he's he's got a good future. I really do think he's a bright prospect. And so, yeah, Harrogate was, it was your second half, the pace dropped. And, um, I, I, you know, Wednesday made a lot of changes. Um, I never really want to read too much into friendlies. It's not about the results, is it? And, uh, I, you know, you're gradually building up, aren't you? It's that fitness work and making sure that, the shape and the organisations there and and that you're building the partnerships across the team. And I think Wednesday getting there with it, absolutely. Okay. Uh, so then was it off to Portugal after that? It was, yes. I was only there for the second half of the training camp. So there, there was actually, we haven't mentioned it yet, they did play Middlesbrough in, it wasn't, <laughs> well, they classed it as a practice match. And so how it worked was that I think that there were four quarters of half an hour. And so Wednesday 
fielded basically two teams. So one got an hour and then the other team played the other hour. And so, again, minutes in the legs. And um, I, I think that there was some encouraging noises that came out of that. And then the Bournemouth match was the one that I saw. And, and yeah, I thought Wednesday competed really well, acquitted themselves well. Um, and Hennigan and Ihequa in defence, um, I, I just think that Wednesday have bought two solid players. I think they've got two you know, really experienced defenders that know their strengths and they, they know their weaknesses. And um, Hennigan played in the middle of the back three. Uh, and, and I think that that's the way I see it. And, um, uh, you know, I think that's going to be the position for him in the back three. And then Iorfa seems to be on the right. Uh, I offer uh, I, I, again. I think he's working his way back. I, I think this preseason, you know, hopefully it's just going to lay a solid foundation for him to then just avoid injuries as much as anything. We need I offer to stay fit and then find his best form. You know, we haven't seen that now for a long time, uh, and and I offer will be that sort of cliche new signing if he can get back to the levels that we saw yep. a few years ago. But the last two seasons, they've almost been write-offs for him with the, the serious injuries that he's been picking up. He's almost become the forgotten man. This this needs to be a season, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, OK, that's cool. Um, tell us, tell us like, the real gossip, though, from Portugal. What 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 happened? Uh, it was... From what we saw of the camp, like I say, I wasn't there for all of it, but you had just a real mix of double sessions, triple sessions... The facilities where Wednesday were at um, were you know, very good for what they wanted. And um, yes, the the, uh, the new signings all went through their uh, initiation songs. Sounded like the best initiation songs for a very long time. Reese James uh, did Stand By Me, which went down uh, very well, apparently. And, um, and, and do you know what? Spirits were really high, and it was fascinating seeing, you know, Jamie Smith and Simon Iwan led a lot of the sessions. And when Jamie Smith has filled in for Darren Moore, say on media duties, you, you can tell maybe that it's not his environment. He's not comfortable with doing it like Darren Moore is. But I tell you, you put him on a training pitch, he just owns it he commands respect from the players there and uh, to see you know him really like in his element you know you can tell that it's just something that he absolutely loves doing and sometimes in pre-season you'll get the sessions of where oh it's shuttle runs it's cross country in the warm weather no, everything about Wednesdays, you know, the, it was structured, the attention to detail, and the players loved it as pretty much all the drills were involving the football. The footballs were out. I'm not saying the other thing, James. Um, so you don't, you don't need no, to. No, I don't need to. Um, the damage has been done there. So yeah, I think honestly, I, I, I just from what I, you know, I saw. Uh, and, and yeah, Alex Miller was there for the start. You know, I think we both came away from it. You know, it was nice to get an insight really into what goes on, and uh, it's the first time really that we've had to you know see sort of Darren Moore and the coaching staff put training sessions on, uh, and so you could see again what it's like. And uh, yeah, just really impressed, really. I, but, and, and, and I tell you, the conditions were so tough over there as well because. Um, forest fires that are going all around Portugal so it's even hotter than what it would normally be you know when I've gone to the Algarve before you're talking maybe low 30s mid 30s I think some days it was it was nearly touching 40 40 plus so brutal conditions to be training in and um, yeah no but I, I think Wednesday got through a lot of good work and um, I, it's chalk and cheese from Wales last year when Darren Moore was trying to piece together a squad, had loads of trialists that you've never heard of. Uh, and you're thinking, Wednesday, they're going to struggle here at the start of the season. They haven't got a squad together. 
Um, this time, it just feels so different. It feels as if, you know, Wednesday now, they have a really good platform to build on. Cool. Well, that, I mean, that sounds really, really positive. So, uh, you know, brilliant scene. A lot of the, <clears throat> I think the club have done a really nice job with, um, uh, you know, lots of videos and stuff to give us a bit of an insight into uh, into what's been going on at the training camp. So that's been really good as well. I should, sorry, um, I should say on that, I reminded James as well, I should say a big thank you to the club as well for the access that they, they gave to Alex and I while we were there. Not all clubs do that, honestly. They sometimes, even when you go on a training camp, they try and put the shutters up. They won't let you maybe speak to players or, or staff or, or, you know, get an insight really or feel for the training sessions. But actually, we were just made to feel really welcome uh, and they were happy for us to be there. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it was nice maybe seeing just another side really to, to other people that you wouldn't normally see. So, no, I, I just would like to say that as well. Big thank you to everyone. Cool, sounds good. Uh, right, we're going to uh, chat to Gareth in just a minute. First of all, just want to say a big thank you to our pi- partners at Title Law Solicitors, um, sponsoring the uh, podcast again this season. I think this is our fifth season, you know, doing this uh, podcast. Dom, it feels like uh, it's a it's a long old time. That is you it? thought we'd be bored of each other by now. This is season number five. Oh, you're my bezzy, so yeah. oh bless you. Um, as is Ollie, of course, as well. Um, who uh, yeah is um, is sponsor of the podcast again this season. Find out more about Tyso Law solicitors at titolaw.co.uk, uh, and we'll be finding out a bit more about them actually through the uh, through the season on the on the podcast. So um, Dom is on Twitter at Dom Housen. I'm at James Marriott. The show is at Dom and James um, and let's go and chat to Gareth So we're joined by Gareth Platt, now um, Gareth you've written a book about Wednesday covering uh, an interesting period of Wednesday's history, just tell us a little bit about the book if you would do Yeah so the book covers Wednesday's glory period really from the late 70s uh, when Jack Charlton took over to the early 90s with a team that reached the two cup finals. Um, and yeah, it covers a lot. It, there's a lot of interviews with players who were there at the time. So people like Carlson Palmer, David Hurst, uh, Mick Lyons, all the big heroes of the time, really, have given their take. And it kind of takes you through the period almost season by season um, with kind of players kind of coming on and, and, and dropping off along the way, really, um, and giving their take. So it's a really fascinating uh, look into you know, what was a great period of Wednesday's history, really. How long have you been working on the book for, Gareth? Oh, God, good question. I think it was about two years it took me from setting up the first interviews with people like Mick Lyons and Laurie Madden to finally finishing it. Um, and I went through several edits, but it's been a really, really good um, voyage for me um, because it, all the players have been so forthcoming in their time um, and they've tried some brilliant anecdotes. Um, some of them, you know, are properly hilarious. So I think it's, you know, if you're a Wednesday fan struggling for inspiration right now with the club, you know, languishing in League One, I think it's a great place to go back and look. I, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll echo that. So I'm I'm about a third of the way through the book at the moment. It's interesting for me because I started following Wednesday properly right at the start of the nineties. Uh, we actually started with relegation, but then after that was was a pretty good period for the first kind of five or six years of of uh, following the club. But obviously. You know, I was I was going to the games with my dad and um, you know other relatives who were talking about the glory days of of the previous kind of you know fifteen years or so. But I didn't really know much about it. They mentioned players that I didn't really know much about. So you get used to hearing about them, but you know I didn't really know a lot of it. So I found it fascinating reading about that um, that period. You've I mean you've also had access here to some really big names. Um, how did you pull that off? Well, it's a variety of things. So I've been doing journalism now for about 10 years. So I guess you get used to, you know, finding the right avenues for the right people. And also you build up some contacts. So a few of them were through social media, so Twitter and Facebook. So, you know, some were through LinkedIn. Some were kind of players, you know, you know, friends of players that I already interviewed. So, you know, I got, you know, I might have got to one player and he said, well, I've got, you know, I've got two or three more who want to speak. It was really a variety of um, channels, to be honest. Uh, and some was, you know, proper digging through Facebook to get kind of friends of friends and stuff and really go through all kinds of back channels. So some were a proper kind of, you know, a proper wa- uh, rabbit warren and some were, you know, available straight away. 
Um, what so, made yeah, you want to? Sorry to interrupt, Gareth. What made you want to write the book in the first place? Well, you know, obviously, like you know, like you guys, I kind of grew up with Wednesday being you know a really big force in the country, really. So that that team from kind of ninety ninety three is very much imprinted on my memory from childhood, with the two cup finals, the league cup win, um, and just the really swashbuckling football that they played. And I kind of thought Wednesday were underserved, really, in terms of books of that, you know, of that kind of nostalgia type. You know, you, if you look at something like United, Arsenal, Leeds, clubs of, you know, clubs of that nature, they've got millions of books about them. But Wednesday seem to have, you know, almost none. So it made sense to write a book, really, and you know, and, and chart what is a great story, and also, you know, a, a story of three or four really great managers um, in, you know, Jack Charlton, Howard Wilkinson, and Ron Atkinson. Um, and the way they manage, which I think is, I think is a really fascinating insight in, it, in itself, to be honest. And the players are great with all of that. It is really fascinating uh, reading, particularly Howard Wilkinson, because I I knew he was Wednesday manager, I knew he was successful, uh, but I didn't realise reading what the players were saying about how ahead of his time his methods were. That's really, really fascinating. Uh, there's also, as I say, about a third of the way through the book at the moment, and, and probably my... I don't know if it's my favourite moment. The thing that's probably caught my eye the most is, uh, obviously it covers the late 70s, so Boxing Day Massacre, as we all know, Boxing Day 1979, um, covers that. And there's an amazing line in it where you say that that Wednesday set the tickets. It was in the third division, wasn't it? Wednesday set the tickets at 75p, and that caused uproar among the fan base. And you look back now and think, 75p for a football match causing uproar like mm. and, and that's you know I know 1979 is a while ago but it's not like hundreds of years ago um so that was just that that blew me away the fact that people were, were up in arms about yeah. 75p with some of the pricing of the uh, of the last few years what 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 are your favorite moments in the book good question i think i think the boxing and massacre one is great for, you know from the anecdotes andy mcculloch talks about I think all the kind of anecdotes around the 91 Wembley win, because it was so unorthodox with kind of, I won't give away too many spoilers, but the way the players prepared before the game, what, you know, was very much kind of, you know, out of the old school playbook. You wouldn't find too many managers now. You wouldn't find Guardiola or Mourinho preparing away for a game, I don't think. Um, And I find uh, the way the players talk about Trevor Francis also quite interesting as well. Um, I think think they're quite harsh and brutal in places. I think, you know, maybe looking back, I would have liked to have given Trevor the chance to put his own side across. Um, but it's certainly fascinating the way they all talk about him uh, and the way they kind of mix this kind of reverence for his ability and his character with a kind of criticism of his, of his style at times. Um, okay. So, yeah, it's a real kind of mixture, really. On one hand, you have, you have this kind of barnstorming anecdote. And on the other hand, there's this really kind of in-depth criticism of a manager. Um, who, did you in, who did you enjoy interviewing the most? Another great question. Uh, I really like Carlton Palmer. I know that he's done a lot of media work recently. Uh, so he's, he, he, he's very much polished as a, as a talker. David Hurst was great as well. Very much a natural raconteur, I thought. Uh, you can tell he's obviously had a great living since playing on the afternoon circuit. He tells them so wittily and so readily. Uh, Mick Lyons seemed like a lovely, lovely man. Well, I mean, you know, they all seem like great people, really. Mick Lyons, I thought, was great, and, and as, as was Andy McCulloch. And then you have the mid, you know, the mid '80s people like Laurie Madden and Tony Cunningham, I thought, I thought was brilliant as well. So, a real, like a real mixture, really. It's hard to pick one. I think Hurst was probably the funniest, but they were, you know, they were all great in their different ways. I think. I, I, I don't know whether or not you can, whether you can really answer this honestly. Is there anyone that you? really wanted to talk to who just wasn't interested, who you couldn't get? Uh, yeah, John Sheridan, I would say 100%. That was a real, that was a real miss, because not only did he score the winner at Wembley in 91, but he also played a key role in that team, and is by all accounts a big character, he would have given great stories. He just wasn't interested. Maybe now, I think he was coming through a bit of a, a tough time in management, I think, at the time I wrote the book. Uh, maybe now he'd be more receptive, but that was one person I really would like to speak to. Best anecdote in the book, or favourite anecdote? <laughs> I can't give away too many. I think anything by David Hurst is worth is, is worth reading. To be honest, I think the uh, the, the I, I really enjoyed the anecdotes about like the managerial styles yeah. of 
Jack Charlton, Howard Wilkinson. And I think it's because because it was before my time. Yeah. And also because some of the stuff that's in there, you'd look back and you'd just go like, how was that ever okay? Like, yeah, exactly. Just some, some of the stuff blows my mind that it's like these were actual methods. And also there's, there's quite a bit of talk about um, what, what the players were getting paid and the contracts they, that they were offered. And it, it's just mind-blowingly low compared to what footballers are paid now. Massively. And it really does... It peels back the layers, don't you? Just how much different football was in the the seventies and eighties before we started getting into like you know into the nineties when the bigger money was was just starting to creep into the into the game. And also stories about players going out and and like the way that they lived their lives. And I guess in a lot of ways, just how normal that was because football now is so much different, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, even going into the nineties when John Hawk talks about what he was getting paid and how he was trying to get more money out of Wednesday before he left for, for Derby. It, you know, it, you know, it's a, it's an incredibly low number when you think about players today. Um, you know, there, you know, there were people working in kind of public services who were earning more money that, um, at that time, I think, than he was. And, uh, and like you say, this kind of old school approach to training and kind of drinking and that kind of thing, that lingered right up until the, to the end of the book, really, kind of the, the early to mid-90s. We think now that football is like a completely different, universe don't we and everyone's kind of ice bast and protein shakes and alcohol free but that you know this kind of world is it was actually quite a young one right up until the kind of late 90s players were were refueling in a totally different way it seems and yeah it, it feels like almost prehistoric times but actually it's a very recent thing in football i think this evolution towards a more enlightened scientific way of preparing Awesome. Well, um, Gareth, thank you for joining us. Um, so the book's called When a Giant Stirred, Sheffield Wednesday, 1976 to 1993. Uh, if anyone does want to get hold of it, what's the best way of them doing it? So it's on Amazon, amazon.co.uk, and it's also on the publisher website, uh, JMD Media. That's jmdmedia.co.uk. Brilliant. Um, well, thank you very much for uh, for joining us, and thank you for providing an insight into a fascinating period in Wednesday's history. Great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.